This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. The Bible says in, in, in the blink of an eye, actually the Greek says in the jerk of an eye, which is faster than a blink, two believers will be working side by side. The saved believer will be taken, the unsaved, believer, unsaved person will be left behind. Again, a very exciting doctrine for those who are following Jesus, not so much so if you're living in sin. We could have also talked about the Great Tribulation. Seven years of suffering like we can't even fathom. We could have talked about the Antichrist, the person that will come and basically unite the world and be Satan's tool. And We could have talked about the mark of the beast and in some way um, it will include in it the number 666. And of course, down through the years, there's been speculation how the mark of the beast will be introduced into our world. Forty years ago or so, it was suggested that the barcode, you know, it's on everything now, but at that time it was new, and they were saying the barcode is the beginning of the mark of the beast, and they would look at the barcode and say, see, here's a 666. There are those then that think that the implants of chips into animals, you know, so a lost animal can be located that uh, that will be introduced into humans and then couple that with the control through the world of cryptocurrency will make it easy to bring in the mark of the beast. Others have suggested that the COVID vaccine could even be the mark of the beast. And, And the truth is that we don't know how it will be introduced, but at some point, and my opinion is that it will probably be sooner rather than later, it will happen and many will be deceived. You know, all of that to say that there are a lot of other topics we could have studied, but as I prayed this week, I just kind of, I'm feeling kind of a release from this series. Now, for those of you that were uh, actually listening four weeks ago when we kicked off this series, I said that depending how things w- went, uh, we might have a session where we answered some common questions, and, and I haven't decided that yet. I'm still praying about it. We might do that. We might not do that. But if we do hear some of the questions that we probably will deal with, do our pets go to heaven? And as you can imagine, we're going to, if we do that, we'll have a lot of fun with that. And probably cats will even be mentioned in that, under that point. And then we might even deal with the question, and this isn't so lighthearted, but, you know, out of curiosity, just, you know, casually, is it okay to go to a palm reader or a crystal ball reader? Or call one of those psychics, you know, Madam Weirdo, to see if she can tell us where we lost our car keys. Is it okay to do that? You know, even just out of fun. Or is it okay to go to one of those visiting prophets that come to different churches? They've even been to our community and have them prophesy over us and tell us about our past and maybe even what's in our future. Is, Is that okay? You know, another question that that I want to deal with if if we go here, can those who die see what we're doing on earth? You know, we hear all this all the time. Well, you know, my grandmother, she died. She's in heaven looking down on us. Is that really true? If that's true, if she's seen everything we do, it could get pretty embarrassing at times. Or how many times have we heard someone say, well, God wanted another rose in his rose garden, so he chose my loved one. Or or God needed another voice in his choir, so he took someone. So is that really the way that God decides who he takes through death? I mean, to bring suffering to us? 
I want this person as a rose in my, in my garden. So we'll see how God leads this coming week. We may dig into these topics. We may not. But you're going to have to just show up next week to see what happens. Today, we want to look at four common strategies that Satan uses in his battle to cause us to trip and fall and therefore help determine the destiny, the eternal destiny of our soul. In our scripture today, and you can go ahead and be looking in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28, Unless you're a seasoned student of the Word, and many of you are, there are some of you that whenever I have a question about God's Word, I go to you because you know it. And, but unless you're a seasoned student of the Word, you're going to look at this Scripture and you're going to scratch your head and you're going to say, I don't have a clue what this is saying. This is downright strange. But as we get into it, I think you'll see that it's not as confusing as it might initially appear. So what we're going to do, kind of our strategy, is we're going to read about eight or nine verses, just read them all, get a bird's eye view, and then we're going to come back to each verse and and break it down and try to dig below the surface. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11, reads like this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, just a quick time out. Pay attention to the following verses because they give a description of Satan before he was thrown out of the heavens. This is what Satan used to be like. You were the model of perfection. So understand that the original version of Satan was incredible. Model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. And then you wonder what Satan's position was before he fell. Well, here it is. You were anointed as guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. And then it gives more details out to, as to how Satan originally was a model angel. Verse 15. You were, catch this word, blameless. Blameless in your ways from the day you were created. But one day Lucifer decided he wanted to be like God. And he sinned, and sin totally changed him, just as sin changes us. Till wickedness was found in you, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. This is this guy that was perfect and blameless. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So right right now, we're getting just a little glimpse. And and, and there are only a couple of places in, in the Bible that talk about this cosmic conflict in the heavens. You know, a war that took place between God and Lucifer. This is one of the few places. And it says, so I, that's God, threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. 
by your many sins and dishonest trade, you've desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Now, there's so much to unpack here. I hope you brought a sack of lunch because we may be here all afternoon until the picnic. And I'm not going to stand here and, and say that I understand everything about these verses because I don't, not even close. But, but there are several elements I, I believe that God has helped me to understand. And, and they give us insight into some of the ways that Satan tries to trip us up, tries to destroy our souls. Let's jump into this. The first way that I want to mention is that Satan trips us up when we become passive towards him. I think that sometimes when it comes to dealing with Satan, we treat him as a harmless Halloween character. We say, well, he's kind of like Casper the friendly ghost. But I want us to understand Satan is not harmless. The Bible describes him as a roaring lion that wants to devour you. Now, I've never had, thankfully, a lion come chasing after me. I've had other animals, such as dogs, come after me. I've had cows come after me. And I'll just tell you that when that happens, I do not react passively because I respect animals that want to hurt me. A few years ago, um, we discovered that we had a wild hog or or feral hog uh, problem on my property in northwest of town. And and I'd gotten several different pictures on my trail cam and saw that there were a, a dozen or more hogs in, in the herd, or, or more properly, I learned that when it comes to hogs, instead of calling them a herd, or a flock, or a covey of, of hogs, technically they're a sounder of, of, of hogs, and uh, those are some of the hogs, that's, that's our cabin there, and we got several pictures, and um, so I, I called in the, uh, the conservation uh, department, and uh, Serena, one of them was, uh, was your sister, that uh, that, that helped and uh, because the hogs were starting to really destroy my property. They were starting to root it up. And, and uh, so I, <clears throat> I, I talked to them. I showed them the pictures. And, and they wanted to go and see the actual location and look at the lay of the land. And so the day that we met to scout the area, we hadn't walked more than five minutes, maybe ten minutes. And we actually came across the sounder of hogs. And the agents, they were stoked. And they said, you know what? Out of the hundreds of times that... They call us out there, landowners call us out there to to check out sightings. They said, we've probably seen, physically seen hogs less than five times. So this was a big deal to them. They were stoked. And well, when we saw the hogs, even though the two conservation agents were well-armed, they said in a quiet but firm voice, Joe, back out of here as quickly as possible. No sudden movements. And, and there were a couple of reasons. One, we didn't want to spook them. But the other thing, you don't want a sounder of hogs coming after you. So, so we began backing out of there just, just carefully. And when we got a distance away, they began to make plans how to catch these hogs that, again, had, had started rooting up and destroying my property. Well, the first step was to determine a bait site. My property is along Clear Creek. And so they found a place overlooking Clear Creek. Uh, there was a bluff there. And, and they said, this looks like just a great place. And And so they began baiting them with soured corn. And they said, you know what, Joe, by the way, if you're out there on certain days, the wind is coming towards you, you're going to smell this soured corn. It doesn't smell good, but it attracts the hogs. 
And sure enough, it wasn't long until the hogs began coming into the bait. And, um, and, and, and the conservation agents, they, they had a couple of cameras with a live feed. And so when, when they would come, uh, they would send a notification to their cameras and they would watch on their cell phones, they would watch the hogs come into the bait. Well, the next step was to set up a large round enclosure, and I don't know, maybe 20 feet diameter, maybe 25 feet, I don't know, something like that. And uh, so the day that they were setting up this large, large trap, would you believe while they were in the middle of setting that up, the sounder of hogs came in to the bait, and they saw them and of course, hogs are dangerous, but yet they're very uh, easily spooked. And so they spooked, and the hogs never came back again to that baited site. So my friends at the conservation department began uh, baiting the hogs at another place on my property. They looked around, and they said, well, let's try it here. And, and again, the hogs came into the bait. They set up a trap this time. Uh, they weren't spotted. But after the trap was set up that very night, they watched on their cell phones as the sounder of 14 hogs walked in front of the cameras that were providing a live feed. And once all of the hogs got into the enclosure, all they had to do was click on their phones and the sides of that trap would come crashing down and and the hogs would be unable to get out. So the moment they all got in there, they clicked. The trap malfunctioned. Seriously, click, 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 click. The sides wouldn't come down. Well, the next day they went out and fixed the issue. And and that next night the sounder again came in and they watched it live on their cell phones. However, this time only 12 out of the 14 hogs would go into the enclosure. One sow and one boar. They were too skittish. They must have been able to sense that humans had been there earlier. But the agents were conferring, what do we do? What do we do? Do we take 12 out of the 14 or do we wait risk losing all of them to get all of them. (laughs) So on their cell phones that night, they decided, let's get 12. And click, the sides of that trap came crashing down and trapping those 12 hogs. Well, all of that to say, the next day they called me and and they asked if I would like to see the hogs in the trap before they, they removed them. And and, and so my, my wife and I walked out in, in the direction of that trap, and it was kind of the center of our property. And, and here's the point that I want to make. When, when those hogs saw us coming maybe 50 yards away, they began trying to charge us. And what they would do in that trap, they would back up as far as they could and go running as, as fast as they could and hit that trap. Just bloody their noses. I mean, it, it was a, a gruesome sight there. And they kept just trying to, trying to get at us. And, um, in fact, the, the, the conservation a- agents, they, they said, you know, why don't you stay away? <laughs> you know, this trap is uh, 8 feet tall, 10 feet tall. I don't remember how much it was. We don't think they can get over it, but just in case, because they're going to hurt you if they get out. Well, what I want to get at is that God says that Satan is not like a wild hog that normally, normally will run away from you, but on occasion, if threatened, will come after you, but... God instead says that Satan is like a king of the jungle, a roaring lion. And his goal is to tear you apart. And with one snap of his jaws, he can take you down. And you dare not become passive when it comes to Satan. Now, let's unpack this strange scripture that we just read. 
Reading again, verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning and pay attention to this person, the king of Tyre, and say to him. Now, the first question we need to answer is, is who is the scripture referring to? You say, well, duh, it's referring to the king of Tyre. Well, if you answer that way, you get half a point because you're only half right. And yes, the scripture was directed to the king of Tyre, that the king of Tyre was a wicked and corrupt king, but... But then you must understand that it was also directed to the power behind the king of Tyre, who was the devil himself. And in other places in the Bible, we see the same thing where where God addressed the devil through an individual. For example, you remember Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And in this instance, Jesus was talking to Peter, but he was also talking to the devil who had motivated Peter to say what he did. So, So in this scripture... God is not only talking to the wicked king of Tyre, but he's talking to Satan. And by the way, again, this scripture in Ezekiel, along with one in Isaiah chapter 14, are about the only two scriptures that give us insight into the devil before he staged a coup against God and was thrown out of the heavens. So let's reread the description of the original Lucifer. You were the model of perfection. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. That was the original Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And then it compares him to the precious stones adorned you. Stones, I don't even know what they look like. I'm sure our our, our friends, the hackers would. I don't know what they are, barely can pronounce them, but ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. Now, of course, this part of Scripture is not referring to the king of Tyre because the king of Tyre was never in the Garden of Eden. But God is talking about Satan here, remembering back before Satan fell. And then, you know that uh, the the Old Testament was written in in Hebrew, the New Testament Greek. And... um, so we've come along with different translations. You have the King James Version, you have the NIV, you have the New Living Translation. And, but if you go to the New King James Version, there's an additional piece of insight. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, those are musical instruments, timbrels and pipes, were prepared for you on the day you were created. And this scripture leads Bible scholars to wonder if... if If Satan was a master musician, and and I'm speculating here, but could it be that maybe before Satan fell, that he would just fill the heavens with incredible praise music? And and again, I, I can't support this from Scripture, just my opinion, but I wonder if this is one of the reasons why Satan still works through music. Music today is a a powerful force in our lives. When I come in early on Sunday mornings, After I do a couple of things, I come in here and sit and have the music and just try to fill my heart and my mind, and I pray, and I let that praise music just just fill me. And um, some of the most incredible services we've had here, and I hate to say this, it's not after a great message that I might have preached, it's where God anointed the music. You know, the Good Friday service, for, you, for those of you that attended that, that music led us into an amazing time of worship. It was powerful. 
But on the other hand, music is also a powerful force in the hands of Satan. For example, there's music that promotes infidelity and immorality and violence, sometimes suicide, sometimes murder. You can find these elements in rock music. You can find these elements in rap music. You can find these elements in country music. Doesn't mean that all secular music is evil. That's not what I'm saying. But, but just as music can be a tool in the hands of God, so can music be a tool of Satan. Let's see what else it says. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. So before Lucifer fell, he wasn't just any angel. And, and this gives us a little bit of the structure of the angels. We don't know a lot. But there was obviously some kind of hierarchy among the angels, and Satan was the guardian cherub, which would have probably been the highest level of angels. Now, let me stop here and try to clear up a, a common misconception. I don't know if you've ever played the game of antonyms. And, and actually, let me back up. First of all, what, what's a synonym? There are two ways of saying the same thing. We, we say six or half a dozen. That's a synonym. Well, you know, proud and arrogant or happy and cheerful. Synonyms. But, but then, and, 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 and you know this, an antonym is a word that has the opposite meaning of another word. And so today in the house of the Lord, at the Church of God Holiness, we're going to play a game. We're going to play a game of antonyms. I'll say a word, you give me the antonym or the opposite. You ready? Up, backward, left, good, God. That wasn't really fair, I'm sorry. Because that was a trick question. But that's a mistake that many of us make. We think, okay, over here is the kingdom of Satan. And over here is the kingdom of God, and they're antonyms. They're equal opposites, but they're not, because Satan is a created being. He's not the opposite of an all-powerful God. Now, he is very powerful, and in our own strength, we're no match for him. But Satan is no match for an all-powerful God. So... The, the truth is, we may wonder what all of this cryptic language means in Ezekiel, but, but we understand enough to see that Satan was a being that was highly exalted, and when he fell, he took his ta talents and his skills and his beauty and his power, and he began using them to destroy our souls. And we dare not be passive when it comes to Satan. But also in the scripture, we see another one of Satan's tactics for causing us to trip and fall, and, and that's the matter of pride. In verse 15, we read where Satan was obsessed with himself. He was his own greatest admirer and promoter. But when he fell, his beauty and charm became corrupted. But listen, there are still some traces of that beauty and charm in Satan. Because the Bible describes him not as some repulsive, scaly monster with horns and hooves. Rather, the Bible says, 
What does he do? He masquerades as an angel of light. We, we see that in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. So what does the word masquerade mean? It just means that in a sense, Satan puts on a mask. And that mask causes him to come across as an angel of light, which means that we shouldn't just look for the devil in places of wickedness. We shouldn't just look for the devil in places of ill repute or drug houses or bars or houses of prostitution. Because sometimes we find the devil in churches. That's right. The truth is that the devil goes to church a lot more than some of you do. And we can find the devil working in many different ways. We find him in pastors who teach a false gospel. Sometimes we find him working through you, the membership, causing division or disunity or negativity. And, and, and again, the truth is that most church problems are not caused by drug addicts or alcoholics or immoral people. I don't worry about them whenever it comes to church problems. Generally, Satan comes and uses the remnants of his beauty, remember he masquerades, to cause good people to bring problems and division. And while they're doing that, that they think they're doing something good. And then perhaps the greatest weapon that Satan uses in churches is to bring apathy among the leadership and membership. You know, Satan doesn't mind us coming to church when we're just full of apathy. You know, we don't care. We just come. We just come. He doesn't mind. And, and let me use a, a, a couple of oxymorons. We've talked about synonyms. We've talked about antonyms. And the English language has another interesting word, oxymoron. And the word oxymoron doesn't have anything to do with anyone being a moron. But an oxymoron is the use of two words that conflict with each other. We say, boy, the food was awful good or awfully good. That's an oxymoron. Or how about this? We say, that is seriously funny. Or the silence was deafening. Or how about this oxymoron? She is pretty ugly. Or those are original copies. Those are oxymorons. And we can also use oxymorons to describe the devil. For example, he is hideously beautiful. He's cunningly cruel. He's winsomely hateful. And that's why the Bible says that he will be able to even deceive the very elect. He will deceive the most spiritual. Because as Satan, he has the ability to put on a mask and deceive. But pride is what brought Satan down. And, and when we allow pride in our heart, we join what we're doing, joining hands with the devil. There's nothing that makes us more vulnerable to the devil than pride. How did Satan get Eve to fall in the garden? It wasn't the temptation to fall down. It was the temptation to rise up. It was pride. It wasn't a temptation to be ungodly. 
but it was the temptation to try to be on the same level as God. You know, if you do this, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll have the understanding like God. And that was nothing more than pride. And we can become proud in so many ways. You know, we all know about the common types of pride. Pride towards our accomplishments or successes or ability to make money. And I don't know why. We're vulnerable to that. You know, if we do pretty well for ourselves, we say, well, I worked hard for all I got. And basically saying, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. But do you realize that, that pride can also include being prideful of our spirituality? You know, we can be proud that we haven't fallen into sin like those losers. We can become proud that we attend church every week, not like those yo-yo Christians that only pop in once in a while. You know, we as churches can become full of pride and believe that we're the best church and the right church and the only church. We can become proud that we did such a great job raising our family and our kids. They've turned out right. But, you know, so-and-so, man, their kids are a train wreck. Pride takes place in so many different forms. And and rarely do we realize that we've fallen to pride. You know, we see it in others. I see it in you. You see it in me. But rarely do we see it in ourselves. But pride is a major way that Satan causes us to trip and fall. Well, we see another. In, in, in Scripture, there's another way that Satan can, uh, can trip us, and that is through overconfidence. You know, those of you that were raised in church, you probably grew up singing, No Victory in Jesus. And then... Later, back, what was it, the 90s, the song came out, Overcome. And if we sing those songs, we have the idea that we can simply just steamroll over the devil. But don't ever underestimate Satan. The devil is commander-in-chief to vast numbers of beings that we call demons. Now, the devil is not omnipresent. In other words, he can't be everywhere at the same time. God can. God can be everywhere. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not omniscient like God. You know, God knows everything about everything. Satan doesn't. Uh, Satan is uh, not omnipotent. Uh, He's not all-powerful. God is. But Satan tries to make up for those deficiencies with, listen, multitudes of demons that do his work for him. And sometimes when we've had a rough day, we say, man, I've been wrestling with the devil all day. And we may be joking, but there's probably more truth to it than what you realize, because Satan is in charge of a force of demons that do oppress and harass on a daily basis. I normally don't tell you my dreams because they're pretty embarrassing, but um, I'll have to admit, I woke up this morning, I just was, I was in a panic. And I don't know if it was the devil or because I ate too much last night. I'm not sure, but I, um, I had a dream, and, and my wife, she just sucks in her breath, thinks, oh, come on, Joe, move on, move on. <laughs> um, but I, I dreamed that I, I missed the early service this morning. I don't know how it happened. I missed the early service. And I got the second service late, and I couldn't find my shoes. And uh, I only had, so I, I came with two different shoes on. And, uh, I mean, I was in a panic. And, and finally I woke up and I realized, oh, thank the Lord, that's just a dream. But, you know, uh, for, for me to start out a Sunday morning and I texted Faith, I said, man, I've got a heaviness. I just had this stupid dream. And, and I didn't tell her what it was, but there was that heaviness. And so sometimes Satan messes with us. And... Um, Understand that there is a host 
of demons, they do harass us. And don't get overconfident thinking that you're above falling. The, the Bible says, beware lest you fall. You know, God has protected me from so many things. By God's grace, again, God's grace, no bragging here. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. By God's grace, I don't have a problem with pornography. Again, not bragging. By God's grace, I'm not tempted to use swear words. If I hit the wrong nail, that's not what comes out of my mouth. But, But having said that, I am a man that is cloaked in the flesh of humanity, and I still struggle with temptation. I struggle with the temptation of abandoning God's call on my life. Just telling you like it is. Sometimes I struggle with the temptation to be short and critical and impatient. And In fact, if you ever have a couple of days and you're bored, and it's going to take at least that long, I can start listing all the ways that I'm tempted. And it'll take every bit that long. And so I may not be tempted as you are. You may not be tempted like me, but we are tempted by Satan. And I dare not become overconfident. And you dare not become overconfident as well. Now, before we move on, there's one more nugget in verse 16 that I want to mention. It says, through your widespread trade, you you were filled with, what's that word? Violence. This past week, a gunman, 18 years old, in a horrible act of violence, went up to his own grandmother that he had been living with at point-blank range, opened fire at her face, followed by a drive to a school where 21 mainly elementary aged innocent children were taken out, which this tragic, tragic act of violence was preceded by another act of violence 10 days earlier. Not to mention that in 2020, in the United States alone, there were approximately 21,500 acts of violence resulting in murder. And on this Memorial Weekend, we remember those who have lost their lives. But have you ever wondered, why is our world becoming more and more violent? Can I just give the short answer and the real answer and the right answer? It's Satan. It says, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. When you read about the acts of violence like those in the past couple of weeks, and you read about the violence in Chicago and St. Louis and Detroit and, and violence through assaults in our own community, you know, we're quick to blame it on a bunch of different things. We say it's a drug issue, and partially it is. Or we say it's an alcohol issue, and partially it is. And we say, well, it's a gun issue, and it may be that, or a racial issue, or a political issue, or it's because Hollywood, and this irritates me, but Hollywood features violence in a majority of their shows to sell, and we buy it, and, or we blame it on the, the, the whole structure of the family. You know, it's just eroded, and no doubt all of those things are contributors. But the real cause of violence stems back to the fact that Satan has a violent past. And he does a lot of his business through violence in every conceivable way, from the first murder when Cain killed Abel until the approximately, listen, the approximately 50 people that were murdered in our country last night, scattered throughout. Satan is the one 
behind promoting that violence. I think another way that Satan traps and trips us up is through negativity. You know, Satan's goal is to get you down, so down to where you think that there's no use in even trying. You know, sometimes I think, you know what, we're messed up. We're so messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. And, and Satan sometimes makes me think, you know, Joe, why are you even, even doing this? There's nothing you can do to make a difference. Nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. Or Satan sometimes even makes you think that there's no way you or yourself can follow God. You know, his demands are too great. You just can't do it. But notice what God said in Ezekiel. And if you're discouraged this morning, this ought to bring you some encouragement. Because in verse 17, it says, Your heart, speaking to Satan, became proud on account of your beauty, and, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And, and watch this. So here's what happened. I threw you to the earth. So God went to battle against Lucifer and the third of the angels that said, I'm going to follow Lucifer. And God threw them out of the heavens, threw them to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. So if you are discouraged, if you're depressed, if you're despondent, the great news is that Jesus threw Satan down to the ground and conquered him. And the Bible also says this in the New Testament, Hebrews 2.14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, listen, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So when Jesus was on the cross, the demons pointed at him and laughed, made fun and said, he's finished. But they were wrong. He wasn't finished, but rather it was finished. That the plan of salvation was completed and finished. And here's what Jesus did on that cross in Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed, and for those of you that like the King James Version, it says, having spoiled the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. So so this verse says that Satan has been spoiled or or stripped of his powers. He was disarmed. Then it says he's been shamed. God made a public spectacle of him. And then it says he's been subdued. Jesus triumphant, triumphed over them. So we hear a lot about 666. Anybody hear about 666? That's Satan's number. But God's number is 7. So the good news is that 777 has defeated 666. And every time you think of Satan, I want you to think of someone who's been stripped, shamed, subdued. Stripped, shamed, subdued. And let me show you one of the greatest blessings in the Bible. I want to show you five I wills. I wills of Satan before God threw him out of the heavens. In Isaiah, the other scripture that talks about this a little bit, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, this is amazing. It says, you said in your heart, and that's what, this is what Satan said, I will, that's the first I will, I will ascend to heaven. I will, second one, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Here's the third one, I will 
sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Fourth, Satan's I will. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. Number five, I will make myself like the Most High. I'll be like God. So five times Satan said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. But then there came the Son of God who didn't say, I will. Remember what he said? Thy will. Thy will. And yes, God's will was death. But through his death, he defeated this one who had big plans to take over God's throne. And notice, and notice what will happen to Satan in Isaiah 14, 15. But you're brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate. So in other words, that they're looking, it's almost like they're squinting in unbelief saying, is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? That the man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? So when Satan has been put in his place in the lowest hell, God is going to bring the created beings of the universe and he's going to say, hey, come over here a little bit. I want you to take a look at this guy. Look at him. Do you see him? Do you, do you see this highest of the high who's been brought down to the lowest of the low? And, and the created beings are going to say, what? That's him? That, that's him? You, that's the guardian cherub who was full of wisdom, the one who was surpassing in beauty? Is that what he's become? Let's wrap this up. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the animal safari outside of Springfield. Anybody ever been there? Animal safari? Yep, several of you. And of course, there are signs everywhere that, that as you drive through, it says, please stay inside your vehicle. Make sure your windows are up. But I think anybody that has a half an ounce of risk within them will roll down their windows and at least let some of the animals stick their head inside your car and feed them. There was a zebra that uh, took a liking to our grandson Jace, and he would stick his entire head into the car by Jace. And uh, Jace would feed him, just had a good time, got some great pictures. Well, we found out shortly afterward that a zebra had taken off someone's finger not too long before that. But anyway, our family's risk quotient is pretty high. You know, our motto is being safe is overrated. But all of that to say, as long as you stay in your car, you're safe. But you know what? If, if you decide to get out of your car, you're on your own. And it's the same way with God. As long as you abide in Christ, you're safe. You know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But remember, if you quit abiding in Christ, sorry, you're on your own. So as we wrap up our, our lesson today, keep abiding in Him. Stay in His Word. Stay on your knees in prayer. 
be prayerful. Keep gathering with other believers. And one day, the battle will be over. Satan, it's going to be a great day. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. And those who have been abiding in Christ, they will be promoted. And, and remember that old song. Again, if you were raised in church, you probably remember that old hymn that says, And when the battle's over, what? We shall wear a crown. Anybody remember that? We shall wear a crown. Where? In the new Jerusalem. So there is a great day coming for the children of God. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.